Welcome to Evil Done Badly, the worst true crime podcast in the history of the whole world. As you all know, we have no budget here at Evil Done Badly, and Dick would like to change that. Dick is now selling prints of his original Evil Goat paintings. If you would like to peruse the exquisite selection, they can be viewed over on the Instagram or Facebook pages. They're quite spiffy and guaranteed to spice up your living quarters. I mean... Who doesn't need more evil goat artwork in their house? You sure do. And you should message us and acquire some. And if you would really, really, really want to help us out, join our Patreon and send us your money and get absolutely nothing in return. Not even an evil goat drawing. There's no content on there, and you should check it out today. Now... That's enough shilling my crap for one day. Let's get into our episode. But before we get into today's case, let's grab a beverage, hold on to our mouth-watering arses, and let's fire up the theme song. This episode of Evil Done Badly is brought to you by the wide world of paranormal investigations and ridiculous thrifter groups over on Facebook. Both groups are getting insanely popular with around 20,000 followers each, and they're getting ready to explode even further. They're like the complete opposite of this podcast, which has a cult following of somewhere between two and four people, and we deeply appreciate all three of you. Anyways, if you're into paranormal weird stuff or thrift comedy, check them out. And now let's get back to the show. It's the morning of October 12th of the year 2000, and 48-year-old Texan Mary Morris kisses her husband Jay goodbye and heads to work at the bank. It's just another day as far as they are concerned, and there's no reason to think there's anything going on any way out of the ordinary. Now, Jay is a swell guy, and he's a doting husband. And he calls Mary Lou to see how she's doing throughout the day. Just checking up on her, he's a nice guy like that. But on this particular day, he's unable to reach her by phone, and he attempts to make contact with her various times during the afternoon. All of which are unsuccessful. Now, this is anything but ordinary. Mary is not the type of wife to be off getting it on with the janitor in the broom closet and ignoring her husband's calls because of it. Naturally, Jay becomes worried and contacts the bank directly. Jay is informed that his wife, who has not been to work today, and they are just as surprised as he is. They even check the broom closet on the off chance she hooked up with the cute intern from the mailroom. So Jay and the people at the bank are both worried, and they're both baffled about what has become of his wife. They would not have to wait that long for an answer. And the answer sucks. It's quite terrible, actually. I mean, you saw that coming. Everything ends terribly around here. So, uh... Just outside of Houston, someone is driving around and finds an abandoned car in a remote area. The really notable thing here is not that the car is abandoned, because it sort of isn't abandoned. 
the car actually contains one occupant. And that occupant is the charred remains of Mary Lou. The car had been set on fire earlier that day, and, well, it didn't look like a suicide. It was ruled a murder, even though poor Mary's body was burnt so badly, they could not determine the cause of death. They did establish, however, that her purse and wedding ring were missing from the crime scene, so that might be important, but it's of no help right now. Normally, you'd look at Jay, the husband, and assume that he had something to do with it. I mean, the spouse is always suspect number one, and holy crap, boy, this guy is, well, he's quite the suspect. He's so much of a suspect that absolutely nothing involved in the case wouldn't indicate any kind of means or motive for Jay being responsible for his wife's death. There were no signs of marital distress, no outside affairs, no insurance payouts, no drug problems, or any of the usual reasons people knock off their spouses for. And as far as anyone knew, everything is fine between Jay and Mary Lou. She was well-liked, financially and professionally successful, and had no known enemies. I mean, Jay, Jay is a swell guy, as I said earlier, and there's no indication that he had anything to do with his wife's death. I know appearances can be deceiving, but at this point in the investigation, he might as well be the mayor of Swellville. It appears that he's one of the least cuntish people we've ever had on this show. So where does that leave us? That leaves us a little light on the leads here. You've got one burnout car, one murder victim, and one squeaky clean husband. Squeaky clean husband, and absolutely nothing to go on. It's as if someone just randomly dropped down from a different planet, did a bunch of nasty stuff, and disappeared. It's just bewildering. Now, it's the year 2000, and not everyone is peering down at their phones and playing Angry Birds just yet. I mean, if they're lucky, they might have a Nokia with Snake on it. If you've ever played Snake before, you know that you can only spend so long trying to avoid eating yourself before getting bored shitless. Anyways, at this point, the police and everyone are all standing around scratching their arses and wondering what the fuck is going on here. Uh, just let me clarify that I'm confident that the arses on these people are nowhere nearly as mouth-watering as the arses on our listeners. You're all incredibly sexy, and thanks again for being here. They're also standing around arguing about where they're going to eat tonight because they're all a bit peckish, and Uber Eats also does not exist yet either. So on the 16th, four days later, something even more mind-blowingly unbelievable occurs and that throws the whole non-existent investigation into a tailspin. So, let's go back to the scene of the crime, where Mary Lou was originally found, and look around a bit, and see what we can turn up. If we go back, four days later, to where the car and Mary's remains were found, we will find another car with a woman's remains in it. Now, it's not the original crime scene from four days ago. The CSI people didn't just leave poor Mary Lou out there and forget to clean it all up. It's a whole new crime scene. Different car, different woman, 
And what the fuck just happened? Now we've got two almost identical murders. And it gets even more uncanny when you realize that the remains at the new crime scene belong to a woman. A woman named Mary. Mary Morris. Hmm. Now, not Mary Lou Morris, like we've already talked about. Mary McGinnis Morris. What are the fucking odds? Well, not as long as you might think. So let me explain in the most convoluted way possible. So another Mary Morris, she gets killed in her car approximately the same location as the last Mary Murray, murdered Mary Morris. This Mary Morris had been shot in the head and the gun used was sitting on the passenger seat next to her. It appeared that whoever was responsible attempted to make it look like a suicide. But everyone knew that was horseshit right off the bat. The gun that was used was registered to and was originally tucked under the driver's seat by her husband, Mike. Now, this Mary Morris, who's married to Mike, was a 39-year-old nurse and also well-liked, financially secure, and very good at and dedicated to her profession. She had everything going for her and had no apparent reason to want to commit suicide. So, who would do this? And why would Mary be driving around with a gun under her ass in the car? The story goes like this. Mary got along with everyone, except for one of the male nurses at her hospital that had recently come on board. This guy was such an asshole that she told her friends that this guy who was named Dwayne Young, was capable of hurting her and possibly even worse. She genuinely feared this guy and was positive that one day he was the one that snuck into her office, rearranged all her pictures, and scrawled death to her on a sheet of paper. Now, she took that to mean that this Dwayne Young dude wanted her, Mary McGinnis Morris, to be dead. So this is some seriously psycho stuff. So, this is apparently why her husband, Mike, had bought her the handgun and showed her how to use it before sticking it under the car seat. So we know where the gun came from, but what else do we know about the day in question? Well, her friend Lori met up with her on Sunday, October 16th, to get a flu shot. So, she's giving flu shots on Sundays. I mean, this woman's a goddamn angel. Who, who does that voluntarily? So Mary told her she was only staying at work for a couple hours. She's not that much of an angel. Running out to do a few errands and then heading home to get some grub. I mean, it's pretty typical stuff that working adults do on a regular basis. So she stops by the drugstore and she calls her friend Lori back. Lori answers the phone and Mary tells her that some sketchy weirdo at the pharmacy has her all creeped out and makes her very, very uneasy. She's a little freaked out. She tells Lori that she's going to go back to work to shut off her computer before heading home. That seems a little weird though, doesn't it? That's a little odd right there. If I'm freaked out by some fucktard at the drugstore, the last thing on my mind is going back to work and turning off my computer. That is, unless I had something particularly disturbing on there that I didn't want anyone to find in the case of my untimely death. Which I don't. If I die today, 
I'm perfectly comfortable with my family finding the hidden stash of erotic My Little Pony fanfiction I've been writing. I mean, hell, it's way better than anything everyone, anyone has ever written for this show. Where was I again? Okay. Mary says she's going back to work, but I don't think she made it. Because 12 minutes later, the police get a frantic call from Mary that seemed to take place while she was being attacked by uh, her attacker. As far as I know, the recording has never been released and doesn't implicate any specific murderous cunt. So it's not overly helpful. Her body was found a short time later and she had been violently beaten and shot to death. In other words, it sure as fuck don't look like no suicide. The first Mary Morris murder was completely baffling and nothing made any sense. This one, this one's a little bit more tangly. First off, we've got the strange nurse guy who Mary thought was capable of harming her. He's obviously a suspect. And we have the ever-reliable husband who's always a suspect, no matter how innocuous or boring he may appear. So let's grab a shovel and dig into him. Let's see if we can dig up any dirty nuggets out of him. As we've stated before, Mary McGinnis Morris was very well-liked in her social circle, and it appears that she was really, really well-liked by one of their family friends. Her husband Mike had confronted her and the dude in question about the affair they were quite possibly having, and both of them denied any sensual wrongdoing. Now, that's exactly the type of thing two people who are quite possibly having an affair would say. But... Mike here, he says he believed them anyway. Okay. So we've got a husband with a dead wife. And we've got a husband who stands to cash out on a $700,000 life insurance policy. Hmm. Looks like Mike here might have some explaining to do. Now, Mike's forthcoming, and he explains everything to the detectives. By refusing to take a polygraph test. He claims that the antidepressants he's on would make the results go wonky. In other words, he doesn't want a machine to tell everyone he's guilty. He'd just rather give a flimsy excuse for not wanting to talk to the machine, and that's going to make him look even more guilty. He also flat out refused to let police talk to his daughter. That's peculiar as well. He's actually not being that forthright or agreeable. And he refuses to talk to anybody without his lawyer present. And uh, he made a point of stating that he kept his lawyer around, quote, not because I have anything to hide, but just to have somebody with me who is familiar with the procedures, unquote. It seems kind of logical. If you're a lying piece of shit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Alleged piece of lying shit. So that all looks bad for Mike. But what looks even worse is that two hours after Mary's frantic call to the police, Mike placed a call to Mary's cell phone. And it was answered by somebody. Mary could not have answered that call. But someone did. And Mike was talking to them for four minutes after his wife had been killed. Allegedly. 
Mike claims that he did call her phone. I mean, he was worried about her after all. But the call went unanswered. Now, the phone company, they say otherwise. According to them, it registered as a completed call, nothing out of the ordinary. Now, this Mike dude seems shady as hell. He's not doing himself any favors here. But if he's innocent, he's doing a damn fine job of fucking it up. So, Mike here, he was at the movies with his kid when the murder went down. So we know he almost certainly didn't perpetuate the murder himself. But the prevailing theory is that Mike paid someone to take out his wife, and the half-assed hitman took out the wrong Mary Morris on the first go-round. People think that the fact that the first Mary Morris's wedding ring was taken by the killer is something a hired killer would do to prove they got the job done. I guess that makes sense. I've never hired one, but uh, I imagine, you know, you'd probably have to pay extra for that. Personally, uh, I wouldn't trust that system. I'd probably leave the ring in my coat pocket, and the police would find it, and I'd be slapped in prison anyway. So, if a toilet drops out of the sky from the International Space Station and lands on my wife's head and kills her, well, I figure I'm screwed. I'm going to be blamed for it and sent to the clink. And, well, it uh, hurts my butthole just thinking about it. Now, the other theory is that the weird dude from Mary's workplace had something to do with at least one of the multiple Mary's murderses. He denied everything and blamed Mike for it. He quit his job as a nurse shortly after, and some think he was fired because of the note he allegedly left for Mary. Others think that he just got tired of all the harassment and said fuck this shit and ran away. I mean, there is the possibility that he did have something to do with it, and he just fled to Nicaragua. Who knows? Now, depending on who you ask, the police don't believe there's a connection between these two cases. Most people think that the possibility of both these murders not being connected is completely batshit nonsense. Same name, same old mall, same area, and a passing resemblance between the two ladies. It makes it look like, uh, yeah, they're definitely related. So this case has never been solved, but both the co-worker and Mike, they are both under suspicion for this. And if you have any information about this case, please get in touch with someone who can do something about it. Not me, because I'm useless. If this were a movie, I think you could really jazz up the ending by adding this here twist. Remember the swell guy Jay who was married to the first Mary Lou? He could wind up being responsible for the whole thing. He could have sent out the hit on his wife and then got the other Mary Lou killed as well. Just to make people think the first one was a botch hit ordered by someone who wanted the other Mary Morris did. And, I mean, that's what we all think. We do think that the second husband ordered the hit on the Mary Morris and went wrong. And uh, if this first swell J husband guy turned out to be responsible for all of it, that would be a crazy good ending. I mean, you gotta look out for those swell guys. You can't trust them at all. He's too swell not to be up to something. Now, for the record, I have no reason to think Jay had something to do with it. 
except for this little tidbit of information that I purposely forgot to mention earlier. The day after the first Mary's murder, the Houston Chronicle receives a call from an unknown male stating that someone had killed the wrong Mary Morris. I don't know why this didn't come out and shed some light on it while it was happening, but either way, it's there. So in other words, this makes the first murder seem all the more random, and there would have been no logical reason for her to be killed. I mean, the more random it looks, the less likely it is that someone in her social network will be zeroed in on as a suspect. And this includes Swell J. Then, when another Mary Morris gets killed, it just validates what the guy said to the Chronicle. Mary McGinnis Morris looks to be the true intended victim, and poor Mary Lou Morris is just an innocent bystander who got caught up. Everyone involved with the first Mary murder is immediately forgotten about because it's just a random, inept murder of the wrong woman by a dumb hired hitman. At least that's how it seems. All attention then gets laser focused on Mike, the second husband, and the weird guy from the hospital, and away from Swell J. It could be perfect. And while this is technically possible, I don't think this is the case, but it would make for a nifty plotline, though. So someone is a cunt in this story, and I'll leave you to figure that out on your own. And there you have it. Another pitiful episode of the worst true crime podcast ever, Evil Done Badly, is in the books. If you would like to reach out and suggest future episode topics, we can be reached on Instagram or YouTube at Evil Done Badly, or by email at EvilDoneBadly at gmail.com. Thanks again for stopping by. Tell your friends so they can be annoyed by us too. My name is Dick, and I hope to see you next time. Buy some of Dick's Evil Go pictures. They're very wholesome. Later, y'all.